Um, what's up, guys? My name is Cody Hunter. Um, our guy who's usually up here, Josh Soloway, he's the uh, lead pastor here at Hillsborough Village. He is actually uh, in Pennsylvania this weekend. Shout out whoever that was. And also Sarah um, lived there. Um, no, you don't live there. You live here. You're from there. Um, so Josh is up there. He is teaching at this big conference for students called Zateo. Uh, he's gotten to teach out a couple years in a row, which is awesome. It's a really big deal. Um, so he's going to be up there serving them with his wisdom and his talent, his teaching and his um, jokes and hip-hop references. Um, and you're going to get a few less of those this morning because I don't listen to a lot of hip-hop. Just a little bit of Kendrick, a little bit of Kendrick Lamar, but that's about it. Um, just being honest. Um, you might get some rock references, because I can throw that out. Um, anyways, so hey, if you guys have been here with us recently, you guys are probably aware that we just kicked off this big season called Awaken uh, here at Ethos, and it's actually a lot bigger than Ethos. This is our second year doing this, and uh, Awaken is this vision uh, that Dave Clayton, who's like our lead pastor here, had that was kind of like, hey, what if we got churches from all over the place, like regardless of denomination, regardless of everything, what if we all came together and united for this thing called Awaken? And it's actually grown into this big deal where this year, uh, it's not just Nashville, it's actually spread out across the entire state of Tennessee, uh, over 10 cities in the state of Tennessee, over 500 churches represented this month are going to be getting together under one banner, this banner called Awaken, uh, and joining up. And basically, like what it is, we like to we do like to do this thing nowadays where we like give something a title and like put its name in like big lights and stuff, and it makes it sound huge and crazy complicated. But it's actually Awaken is just really simple. Um, it is just this taking this month as the churches of Jesus to come together, regardless of our differences, regardless of whatever, and to pray and fast together. Ask that God would move in the cities in which he has placed us. Super simple. Nothing big, nothing crazy. Prayer, fasting, we're going to abstain from food or whatever we've decided to give up. Ask that God would move in our cities. So um, that's where we're at this week. Like we have, we're just knocked out our first week of that. It's just awesome to know that that's happening across the entire state. And then it's actually like we're planning on next year, I think, expanding out beyond Tennessee as well. So super, super cool. Uh, if you are doing Awaken with us, like uh, you were given a packet with a couple things in it, a couple books, basically a few resources on prayer and fasting just to equip you. Uh, and then also you're given this little prayer card, right? You guys seen this before? A little prayer card on which... Uh, basically, there's eight little slots on that for you to pick eight people who are in the world immediately around you that you are saying, this month, I'm specifically going to be praying and fasting for this person in my world, asking for them to see what's going to happen. So um, if you have been, uh, raise your hand if you would say like, hey, I'm participating in Awaken. I've got my packet. I've got my people. Raise your, raise your hand up high for me. Awesome. Okay, cool. Um, I hope week one was great. I hope it was awesome. Props for you, to you for sticking with this. Um, not eating sucks. It's like not a fun thing, but like it, some really cool stuff happens when we start to engage with this uh, as a family. So just if you are not in that group that just raised your hand and you don't have a packet and you aren't familiar with this, uh, we want to just invite you in again. Uh, we have started technically, but it's not too late to jump on board. Uh, we don't have any more physical packets, but if you go to awakennashville.com, it's awakennashville.com, uh, you can download a digital version of all of this stuff right here. Just get it on your phone. Super easy, super accessible. Um, so yeah, just wanted to remind us, like open the door one more time, invite us in, like, hey, it's not too late. Let's join up. Let's do this together as a church. Does that sound good? Awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, so this morning, first week in Awaken, uh, we are going to be in Luke 10. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and, and start turning to Luke 10. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of the blue ones on the, at the tables in the corners of the room. Uh, th that's for you. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that one home. It's going to be on page 506 in that Bible. Go ahead and turn there for me. So how many of you guys have seen the movie Forrest Gump? Forrest Gump, yeah, classic, right? Tom, Tom Hanks, 
in all his glory, all of his goodness, like, so classic, okay? So you know how the movie starts, right? There's like that scene where it's like the feather in the sky, and it's like floating down and up and down in like, in, for like 17 and a half minutes. And then finally it lands on Forrest's foot and he's like sitting on a bench and you know, he's sitting there next to this woman. He's got chocolates on his lap and he delivers that iconic line where he goes, hey, life, you know, mom always told me that life is like a box of chocolates. You, it's beautiful, symphonic. That was amazing. You guys in such unison. Classic line, classic movie, right? Okay, so then he goes, so he's on this bench, he starts talking to this woman, and basically he starts giving his story, right? And then the entire movie after that is basically just a flashback of his life leading up to that one point where you meet him and he is sitting on that park bench. That's kind of what we're going to be doing in Luke 10 today, okay? So during uh, we're going to be Forrest Gumping Luke 10, for lack of a better term. So you're allowed to use that from now on if you want to do that. Um, for, during the whole month of Awaken, we're going to be living in Luke 10. Just this morning, we're going to be starting at the end, just like the movie. We're going to be working back to it, okay? Does that kind of make sense? So in chapter 10 here, um, oh, I lost my notes, guys. Just give me, give me grace. We're going to talk about that. Give me grace. Um, yeah, okay. So we're going to be in this parable this morning. If you, even if you aren't a Christian, odds are you are familiar with the place that we're going to be this morning. Um, odds are you have probably heard of the parable of the good Samaritan. That is common, kind of common vernacular. Um, the good Samaritan this month is going to kind of serve as an anchor point for us while we're in Awaken, Okay. In chapter 10, Jesus has has been teaching his disciples kind of over and over what it looks like for them to join him in his mission, basically, of bringing the kingdom of God into this world, like into a city, into an individual household, and then like all the way down to like the individual person's life. Like that's what he's been teaching them in this point at the end, this, this parable is this point where Jesus kind of takes all of that and he puts it into story form, okay? And when he does this, he kind of challenges our natural understanding, what pops into our mind when we think of loving our neighbor. He kind of wants to push back on some of those natural instincts that we have in a way that can kind of seem hard, but Jesus seems to teach that there's actually like life in it. Like if we will listen to him, if we will give ourselves over to hearing what he has to say, that we're actually going to find life in the process. So that's where we're going to be this morning, Luke chapter 10. Um, We're going to read it. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in together. Uh, Luke 10, starting in verse 25. Follow along if you've got it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. It's Jesus. Put Jesus to the test. Teacher. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replies with this story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, He passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 
The lawyer answered, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray together. God, thank you for for Jesus and for his words that he spoke and he taught and that they're recorded for us to read and learn this morning. And God, I just thank you for this season of Awaken where we as your church are opening up our doors and our hearts and our stomachs even uh, and just asking that you would come and fill those spaces, that you would move God, that you would do what we can't. Jesus, would you work as you love to do this morning in our hearts and in our ears? Would you open them up? Do whatever you want to do, God. I just thank you for the opportunity to gather here as your people. Um, Fill my mouth with your words as I speak. Be here, anoint me to speak to your people and to build them up. We love you, Jesus. We invite you here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Luke 10. It's where we are. Very familiar story, right? Everyone's heard this, okay? The danger with something that you've heard a thousand times is you've heard it a thousand times, right? Like the moment I said, okay, we're talking about the Good Samaritan today, you're like, oh, I know this one, okay. I could probably like chart out exactly what this guy's gonna teach. So my encouragement to us this morning is like, hey, we're gonna be talking about listening this morning and hearing and seeing, having eyes to see and ears to hear. Try to have that stance going into it this morning. It's a passage that you've probably heard quite a bit of times. Let's see if there's something fresh in here for us this morning. Is that a deal? Can we do that? Awesome. All right, so we're going to be in Luke 10, but we want to be good readers, and we want to understand the context that we find ourselves in, right? We can't just parachute into a passage out of nowhere, act like we know exactly what's going on, pull something out of it, and go about our business, right? So we want to find out where we are when we're doing this. Like, where's Jesus? What's he saying? Who's he talking to? Where's he going? All of that. So would somebody do me a favor? Uh, flip back like a page or so. Chapter 9, uh, verse, verses 51 through 53. Chapter 9, 51 through 53. Anybody would care to stand up and read that loudly for me? That'd be awesome. You in the back. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, so it tells us that Jesus, it's our context, Jesus right now has set his face toward Jerusalem, and he's on his way there to accomplish his mission, and he's like resolute about it, okay? He's got a lot of interactions and and stuff that happens on the way, but all of it is while he is en route to Jerusalem, okay? That's going to be important for us to note, so take that little piece and put it in your back pocket for the time being, okay? Cool. So let's zoom back in on this little episode, the Samaritan episode. This guy, this, he's hanging out talking to this lawyer. Let's zoom back in on that. Little recap. So this, this lawyer stands up to question. I've been saying that wrong all week. Does anyone else say lawyer? I think it's lawyer. Yeah. I think it's law. Like it's the word law. And you put your on the end, but I always say lawyer as if it's O-Y. Anyways, I've just been noticing that. I've been really self-conscious about that this week. So sorry. Um, okay, so this lawyer stands up to question Jesus. And when you hear lawyer here, don't think like we think of it. Like think more of like a law professor. So this guy like knows the law inside and out, backwards and forwards. He teaches it all the time. It's his job to know this thing. Odds are he probably has the majority of the Old Testament memorized. Like for a guy like this in this day and age, that would have been very common. Pretty impressive. So that's this dude. He stands up to question Jesus and right off the bat, we're suspicious of his motives, right? Is he standing up to ask Jesus this question because he's like actually eager and yearning? Like, hey, what, is, what does this teacher have to say about this? I want to know. No, the text says that he's putting him to the test. He's basically trying to see if Jesus is going to answer his question in the way that this guy expects him to or wants him to or thinks that he should, Right? So the question is this, he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question, right? It's one that we probably all already asked ourselves at some point in life. Like, what do I have to do to keep on living forever? Like, what do I have to do to make sure when death comes knocking at my door that that's not the actual end of things? What do I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus does what he loves to do just all the time, right? He never gives a straight answer. So he takes his question, he just volleys it right back into this guy's court, Venus and Serena style. He says to him, he says, okay, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he basically goes like, bro, like, <laughs> you're the law expert. Like, why are you asking me? Like, what, what does the law say? So the lawyer knows his stuff. He's good. And he responds with this. He goes, okay, well, it's Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And then also Leviticus 19, 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things, that's a good answer. This is pretty common by this point, like common rabbinical understanding and teaching was that these two passages, love God, love your neighbor, kind of boiled down and summed up the entirety of the law. So that's kind of common understanding, it's a good answer. And how does Jesus respond to that? He looks at me and goes, yeah, like you've answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. That's gonna be important for us too, what Jesus says right there. Do this and you shall live. So remember that. Basically he goes, hey, you got it. Like eternal life, it's not that complicated. It is, it's that. Do that and you'll live. The lawyer, not quite convinced yet or still trying to just rake Jesus over the coals, gives him one more question. He goes, Okay, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds also in classic Jesus fashion with a story rather than an answer. So let's take a look at this again together. Go ahead and look down again at verse 30. We're gonna be starting there. Lawyer says, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. This is good news, right? It's good news for this dude. If you want anybody coming across the beat-up guy on the side of the road, it's the priest. Like, he is the most moral, of moral the most clean of clean. He, like, he knows his stuff. He goes into the temple. He stands in the presence of God on behalf of Israel. Like, if you want anybody, the good guy, to come across the guy on the side of the road who's injured and help him, it's the priest, Right? What does he do? Now it says the, the priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. There's a lot of reasons why he could, probably cleanliness stuff, like he didn't want to get dirty, be ritually unclean, he had a job to do. Probably, that's all in there. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he also passed by on the other side. So many times in Jesus' ministry, he would start off like an important teaching that he was giving with these words. He would say, hey, he who has ears to hear, let him, what? Hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Basically what he's saying there is it's, it's it's possible to have ears and to hear audibly what I am saying, but to not actually listen to it. Let it change your life in any capacity. So if you have ears to hear, then hear what I'm saying. I think he's saying the same thing in this parable. I think he's actually saying, hey, there's a type of seeing that isn't actually seeing at all. So the priest and the Levite, specifically, the text says, they saw the man, but did they actually see him? Like for who he was, where he was in that moment, did they see him there? They didn't, right? Like whatever extenuating circumstances were in their life, like probably legit, probably valid, but they lead these people to cross over to the other side of the road and keep going on. So I thought it'd be kind of a fun thing to do this week to just like look at the gospels and see what happens whenever Jesus quote sees people, like whenever it uses that language. So um, I'd love to get some of y'all's help this morning. If I could get three people to read uh, three different passages for me, preferably, this is not a big thing, but if you've got the ESV version, that would be more helpful for language stuff. But can I get three people, ESV preferably, but not, not a deal breaker? Yes, okay, I've got one right here, two more. Oh, right next to him. Oh my gosh. 
perfect. And uh, number three, right there. Guy, this side of the room, I'm just saying. Okay, thank you guys. Let's go Matthew 9, 35 and 36. All right, number two, we've got Matthew 6, 30 through 34. Uh, and then last is going to be Luke 7, 11 through 17. You can flip there if you want, but these guys are going to stand up and, and read that out loud for us to, to hear. So pay attention to the language about Jesus in this. Let's hear Matthew 9, 35 and 36 first. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Mark 6, 30 through 34. Oh, I did not Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Anyone from this side of the room want to tell? I'm just kidding. That's great. Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark 6, 30 through 34. Yes, sir. Awesome, thank you. And lastly, Luke 7, 11 through 15. I think Aaron's got it. Soon afterward, he reached a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd in the town was with him. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. So when Jesus sees people, right? That's the language. Whenever Jesus sees people, stuff happens. It doesn't stay the same. Let's look back at our parable and pay attention to the wording as well. Let's start in verse 33. So a priest comes up, sees the man, crosses over to the other side. Levite comes up, sees the man, crosses over to the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, he brought him to an inn, he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, basically like two days worth of work, like two paychecks for you. Gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Same wording, right? Samaritan and Jesus, they see and it's back-ended with something else. The Samaritan and Jesus show that compassion is this essential piece of what it actually means to see and love somebody right where they are. It's a force that actually moves, it starts within us and moves us towards them and not away from them, like we saw the Levite and the priest do. So the word actually compassion itself, the word compassion comes from a Latin word, compati, which literally means to suffer with. And that's what compassion is. It's seeing somebody and being soft enough of heart to feel what they are feeling in that moment, to suffer with them in it. It's this compassion that naturally exists and within us and then drives the non-sufferer to the sufferer to meet him where he is. Samaritan happens upon this beat up dude and he like immediately in his heart and mind knows the two commandments and he makes that switch in his heart and his mind, right? He happens upon this guy and he goes, this dude, like, 
dying, bleeding on the side of the road, what if that were me? Like, what if that were me in that spot? This guy's coming up on me. I'm dying on the side of the road. What would I prefer somebody to do in this moment? Like, if you can put yourself in the, that scenario, the answer is pretty obvious, right? Like, you, you know what you're going to want slash need somebody to do there. We need somebody to help, like, to save me. Samaritan knows this. He makes that switch in his heart and mind, and then the thing is that he goes to him and he does it. He goes and he binds up his wounds. He picks him up. He like effectively puts him in his car, drives him to a place where he's going to be safe, makes sure this dude is going to be set whenever he eventually has to go on his way. At the very end of the, the story, Jesus kind of has one more question for his little question tennis match with, with the lawyer. And he goes, hey, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The man kind of obviously led there. He goes, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus is, is really good at doing this in his ministry. He's, he's really good at leading people to the truth like this. Like rather than just giving it to him like in this nice, neat, concise little answer, gives him this story. And with this story, he kind of gently with his words goes like, hey, I, I need you to see that you already know the answer here. Like I'm not teaching you anything you don't know. You know, truth is speaking in your heart and I just need you to see that you know it and you need to just listen to it. And Jesus ends to him with, his, with this word. He says, you go and do likewise. Basically looks at him and is like, okay, you got the Samaritan, remember him? You go be the Samaritan to somebody who's in your path, who's anyone who's around you. This command, this go and do likewise, it's kind of like what I said for us to remember earlier. It's kind of the continuation of Jesus' earlier command that he gave to the man, basically. He said, you know, the guy said, okay, I love God and love my neighbor, right? And Jesus gives the command. He says, yes, do this and you will live. It's kind of the continuation of that because the lawyer interjects. He goes, okay, wait, but wait, like, who's my neighbor then? Jesus goes, okay, gives the parable. And then effectively goes, okay, now that we've defined who neighbor is, continuing on, go and do likewise. Like, do this and you will live. I think I used to read that, like Jesus saying that, like, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus saying, like, hey, do this and you will live. I kind of used to read it with this slant of basically, like, hey, do this and you'll survive. Like, if you want eternal life, if you want to make it to the other side when you die, if you want to get to the gates, whatever, and like be allowed entry in, do this. Like, do this and you'll live, okay? God's not going to kill you. God's not going to send you to hell. But with just the way that Jesus talked about his kingdom and about like what he actually thought eternal life was, I've just been reading it differently. So the question is, how do I inherit eternal life? Like, how do I live forever? A man answers like, okay, I think it's love the Lord your God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus doesn't correct him. He goes, you're right. Like, that's it. Do this and you will be alive. Do this and you will be living. The way that life operates in the eternal kingdom that I am bringing, that's it. You will be living it. Death is not gonna stop it in you. It's not gonna put a stopper in that. Do this and you will live. There's this really similar passage in Mark 12 where a scribe, like another person who would know the law like crazy, comes up to Jesus, asks him basically the same question. He goes, hey, what's the most important commandment in the law? And same as here, Jesus gives him the two answers as one. He goes, okay, well, first one, love the Lord your God with everything you have. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Same deal. But this guy, the scribe, he doesn't respond like the lawyer. It says he actually responds wisely and with humility. Basically, the guy goes, okay, you're right. Like, that's it. Like, if, if I do these two things, if I love the Lord with everything that I have, and if I love everyone around me with everything I have as well, and like myself, then I'm basically doing the entirety of the law. Like, I'm going to do all of the other commandments kind of under the umbrella of that. Like, that's basically it. When Jesus hears the man respond like this, 
He looks at him and he says these words. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from it. What does he mean by that? Does he mean like, oh, dude, you're like, oh, you are right on the verge of putting the right answer on the test to where when you die, you get entry into eternal life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, dude, you are right on the edge of it. You are right on the edge of the kingdom. Like when you understand that this is how life operates in my kingdom, you are right on the edge of seeing it break out into your life. That is the kingdom of eternal life that I'm bringing. When you do that, you'll be showing that you're a citizen of that kingdom and man, you will be alive, trust me. That's what he's saying right there. This invitation into full life is from Jesus is so big and it's just like all throughout his ministry. It's just like always what he's calling people into. Gosh, like the kingdom is breaking in around you. Like, please just come in. Like the, the door's open. And, and I think if we're honest, like we all kind of know that. Like I feel like most of us have probably been following Jesus long enough to know and have some experience in, okay, yeah. Like I, I know I've tasted when I'm loving God, when I'm loving others more than myself, I'm, I'm a better person. Like I function better, I feel better, I'm more fruitful. I think we know that. Like I think most of us have experienced that at least in some degree. So it got me wondering this week, like why don't we do that more? Like why don't we do it? Like what's keeping us from doing it? I'm asking that question to myself, like chiefly. Like so many areas where I could do this more in my life. And as usual, I think it's just a few things, but right off the bat, it's just like it's the practicals of it. That's typically what kind of the first thing that crops up. So like the practicals of loving people is like the who and the how is, is kind of what I think of. So who, like, gosh, this is like, it's a big question, right? There's, there's so many people in the world, 7 billion people, like how, how am I supposed to love them as I love myself? Like, sheesh. And I think the point of this story is that like, hey, look, the, the question is who is right in front of you? So the Samaritan didn't leave his house that morning thinking like, okay, I gotta love the world and my neighbor today, uh, it's probably gonna be that beat up guy on the side of the road. I gotta like prep for that. He didn't know that. No, he's just going on his way. And when he comes across this man, this law of love in his heart is already so working and so marinating that when he sees him, it just naturally flows out of him. And he does the law. He goes, gosh, if that were me, gosh, I would need somebody desperately to help. And he does it comes across him just right on his path. And so my question, I think for us is like, who, who are the people that God has placed right in front of us for us to see as we are going? Who's at the desk right next to you every day at work? Who's that person in the study group this semester with you that you never really knew before, but now all of a sudden they're cropping up all the time in your life? Who is your literal neighbor in the literal house right next door to you? Do you actually know them? Like, you probably see them a decent bit. Like, do you know them? They're in your path. So that's the who. Like, I think that's, it's way simpler than we'd like to make it sometimes. It's like, who's in front of you? And then the how, how do we love people? It's a, that's a valid and a very big question. And what's cool is this month, like, we're trying to grow in that together. Like we're trying to equip ourselves to, to grow in this. This little Jesus Next Door book, this is a little devotional that we're walking through every day. And each day it's, it's taking some time to sit aside and, and pray and think, okay, who's around me? How can I have eyes to see them? And how can I like start to open up my mind and my world to be like, I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna bring the love of Jesus into your life. So like, this is a great resource, like for practically for us to start walking through. But just like kind of from experience, just what I think is like helping people, loving people, a really easy one right off the bat is needs. Like, is there a need in this person's life that in the name of Jesus and in the name of the kingdom, I can meet that need? Jesus does this all the time, right? Like blind people, don't stay blind around Jesus for very long. Just always giving them back their sight. The woman who's bleeding for 12 years and like is genuinely outcast from society, he heals her, brings her back in. Like 5,000 people on the hillside, they're hungry. They've been listening to him all day. They've got this epic journey to get back home after them. Jesus goes, we can feed these people. Let's do it. Like that's a need that I can meet and he meets it. So Jesus sees physical needs 
and meets them. Like he's not afraid of that. And he calls us to do that exact same thing as his disciples. So meeting needs is big, but I think the first step even before that is just having an open ear to those around you. It's like listen to them, like know their story. Ask questions because you genuinely care to know the answer from them. You know how you talk with a friend and like when you chat, like you're asking them because you want to know how they are? Like talk to everybody like that. So so, like sometimes when I'm talking to a neighbor or like a new person or or just somebody new in my world that's like opportunity right in front of me, I can be so preoccupied with like a few things that I stop listening to them. I'm either like preoccupied with what I am doing that day, like what I have planned, how I decided my day was gonna go. And so anything that like, diverts me from that is not a welcome thing. So I can be so preoccupied with that. Or if I'm like being more kingdom minded, honestly, if I'm thinking more Jesus related, like what I can be so preoccupied with is like, okay, how am I supposed to love and serve this person and work Jesus into their life right now in this immediate moment? Like you ever do that? Like you're sitting there, you're talking to somebody, you're just like trying to like Jesus ninja juke Jesus into the conversation is somehow or in some fashion, like, oh, but I go to, I go to church and you're welcome to come join us. Like if you, if you start pay like if you're concentrating on that, like you could be like me and all of a sudden you just realize that you have not paid attention to a single thing that the person is actually saying for the last 30 seconds. Like, you know, people can feel that, right? Like, you can feel that when you're talking to somebody and then they just, they're gone. They've just checked out somewhere and they're just giving you the, dang, that's crazy, bro. Like, <laughs> you know, sticking with that, the meme, if you're familiar with it. Like, don't do that. Like, even, even for the kingdom, like, gosh, like, be present and pay attention to where people are, hear their story, listen to them. This morning, or not this morning, earlier this week, I, uh, we're, we're doing a building project in my house and our uh, contractor showed up and I just, you know, casually was like, hey dude, how's it going? Like, how are you? Um, and with tears in his eyes, just right off the bat, he just started letting me know about just some serious stuff that was hitting the, the fan with his family, basically. Like his dad, some stuff with his dad that's just really, really hard. And he started telling me about this and we talked about it for like 15 or 20 minutes or so. And at the end of it, I was like, hey man, is there, is there like anything that you guys need right now? Like that, that I could help with or somebody could help with, like anything at all. And he was like, honestly, man, we like, we're good. Like we're fine. It's just like sucks really bad. But we just talked. We just, I listened to him for 20 minutes when that wasn't the original game plan. All that to say, like sometimes just being a reliable person for somebody to confide in is all that that moment requires. The more you do that, the more you do that with people, opportunity to like serve them physically and tangibly, that will come as you do that. But sometimes just like be an open space for people to be honest in. So refreshing. Just to encourage us before we go any further, like I just remember that Jesus is doing this and teaching this as he is going. Like he teaches his disciples to do the same. He sends them out into the towns and he goes, hey, preach the gospel of the kingdom. And as you are going, heal the sick, provide for their needs, like, but do it as you're going. Right before Jesus gets taken up, right before he ascends, he gives the great commission, probably familiar with, he goes, hey, like I'm leaving, I'm gonna be with you still, go into all the nations And as you are going, make disciples. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Do it as you go, though. So, like, I think Jesus wants us to, like, breathe out a little bit with all of this. Like, we put so much pressure on this, like, as if, like, loving people is something other than our lives and what we are living, like, where we are living. Like, and just to help some of us breathe easy, Jesus isn't usually calling us to drop everything we have and move across the ocean to a people group we've never heard of and spend our lives pouring out and loving and serving them. Like, is he gonna do that for some? For sure, it happens all the time. But for you, maybe not. But for all of us, the call is to have open eyes and ears for the people that God has put right in front of us, right on our path, just like the Samaritan. 
So breathe out, like do this as you are going. And God, God is gonna lead you in this. He's the one who brought these people to you in the first place. So, so a lot of times it's the practicals that get us, the who and the how, who do I love, how do I love them? But I think the point of the parable that Jesus is getting at is, hey, look, more often than not, it is something more deep than the practicals that keep us from stepping into this. It's actually matters of the heart that keep us from seeing like this and walking in it. So after Jesus gives his, his first answer to the lawyer, um, we get a peek into the motivations of the, the guy's heart, basically, from the text, right? So in verse 29, look at verse 29 real quick if you've still got it. So he says, okay, you know, you answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the lawyer, it says, but he desiring to what? Justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's not actually looking for an answer. Like I said, he's kind of looking for some nice, neat parameters on who he is required to love for eternal life and who he doesn't actually have to love, who he can kind of get off the hook for. And, And Jesus gives this parable in response kind of to call him out and show him that. It reminds me of this other time where in the Gospels where this rich young man comes up to Jesus and people are doing this all the time to Jesus in his story, right? It's like Jesus is like a hot new teacher and everybody's always running up and trying to get this hot take from Jesus, the new teacher. Everybody's running up, Mike in the face, like, okay, Jesus, eternal life, how do you get it? Okay, Jesus, the commandment, you know, all of them, all the law, what's the most important one, most, most important commandment, go. Like all the time, that's just happening to Jesus over and over again. He probably got exhausted with it, but... This time it happens, this guy comes up, Mike in the face, okay, Jesus, rich young man right here, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Same question. Jesus really sweetly goes, okay, well, you know the commandments, like, it's all there. Don't murder, don't cheat on your spouse, don't steal, like, don't take what's not yours. It's all there in the commandments, just do those. This guy looks at him and he goes, teacher, I have done these things since I was a kid, Yet still he's like lacking something. Jesus, this is important. It says that Jesus looking at him, sees him, loves him and says to him, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, come and follow me. You'll have treasure in the kingdom if you do that. Come follow me. It says that the young man goes away sad Why? Because he had great riches, is what it said. It's like the cost was too great for him. So Jesus, for you and I and for these men, gently but unflinchingly says, hey guys, I I need you to see this. You don't want eternal life. You don't want my eternal life. You just want more of the life that you already have. You just want more life to keep loving the same money more life to keep loving the same people that you think are deserving of love and not loving those other people. And I am offering you something so much bigger and so much more. This eternal life that Jesus offers up to us is not just more of the same stuff that never really satisfied us in the first place. It's this new, brand new, out of nowhere, transformed heart that has these brand new affections and these brand new desires to it. And it becomes like this well inside you that as it grows, it starts to spill over, giving you life and then spilling out, giving life and restoration to the world around you, transforming it as you have been transformed. That is the life that Jesus is offering to people. Everybody just stiff arms him and says, no, like, I would like more life for more money, please. And Jesus just kind of gently goes, you don't want life. You you at least don't want the life that I'm bringing and the life that I have. And man, I think just like these men, there's just all of this stuff that is clogging up yours and my heart to keep us from stepping into this more deeply. So my question kind of for us this morning to reflect on is like, what are the things that my heart just loves so much or just so tightly that they like stand up and they keep me from loving my neighbor more fully and seeing them right in my path, right in front of me? Is it your time? Is it your money? 
Is it your image and like who you want to be seen with, who you don't want to be seen with? Maybe it's like political beliefs or other prejudices that are like consciously or subconsciously telling you who is worth your time, who is worth your help, whatever. For me, just straight up, it tends to be time and money, okay? My time and my money. Introvert, time's important to me. Budget, fiend, master, money. I like to know when it's coming in, where it's going, how much do I have, like, yeah, all of that. Time and money. So the opportunity to love somebody comes up right in front of me. First thing cropping up in my heart always is, how long is this gonna take and how much is this gonna cost me? For real, like 30 minutes, I can give 30 minutes. If this is gonna spread out over days, I'm probably out. I'm an introvert, you know, so I have a free pass. So is managing your time well a good thing? Yeah, of course. Is stewarding your money well a wise and good thing? Absolutely, yes. The Bible is gonna say over and over, do that well, please. Like be wise with your cash. But when these considerations overshadow and then screen out the opportunity to love somebody and see somebody right in the path, right in front of me, then I'm loving those things too much. I am serving them and they're not serving me and I need to repent and I need to let go of them at least a little bit. I need to loosen up the grip on those things. So I'd encourage us to reflect on that this morning as we go to communion here in a bit. Like, what is that thing for you? It pops up, and whenever the opportunity to love or serve somebody comes to your door, this, this is that thing that pops up, and everything revolves around and answers to that one thing. What is it? God will reveal that to you. So in closing, man, that's it, right? Like, it's easy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Cake, really simple. Just everybody do it. Come on, like, just get with the program. Let's get out of here and do it, Okay. No, it's not, it's not that easy, right? Like, loving people is not easy or clean or fun all the time. In fact, more often than not, it's messy, it's inconvenient, it's exhausting, and it always costs us something, sometimes a lot. I don't want to paint like a picture this morning, like, hey, this is easy. Just go out and do it. Love somebody. It's hard. It really is. But I also want us to remember what I told us to kind of put in our back pocket earlier this morning, like... Remember where Jesus is when he is telling you this. Like, nobody is more aware of the difficulty of loving people than Jesus. Where is he when he's teaching this? He set his face towards Jerusalem. He's on his way towards Jerusalem. Nothing's going to stop him. Why? What's he going to do? Well, he's going to die. And he knows that. Like, Jesus, the innocent one, has his face set towards Jerusalem where he knows that he is going to be illegally arrested. He's going to be falsely accused by a bunch of staged witnesses. He's going to be handed over to a corrupt government. He's going to be beaten to a pulp by them. And then ultimately, he's going to be nailed to a piece of wood to suffocate to death by himself. That's hard. That's messy. That is costly. Jesus knows that. Why do you do it? Why do we do it? The scriptures are going to say that it, it, it's love. Love is behind all of that. 700 years, actually, before Jesus even shows up on the scene, the prophet Isaiah is writing about Israel's coming future Messiah and surprisingly, how this Messiah, before he would reign and rule over the nations, that he would actually be suffer and be killed. And these are his words in chapter 53. It says, out of the anguish of his soul, this servant, this Messiah, he shall see what he is accomplishing and it shall satisfy him. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. In Jesus' own words in John, the night before he dies, he says this, he's looking at his disciples, he goes, hey, one command I leave with you. That's it, just one. Just like in the garden, one command, don't eat of the tree. In this moment, Jesus says, one command I'm leaving with you, love each other as I have loved you. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his own life for his friends.
It's one thing I want you guys to do, just love each other like I'm loving you. It was a love that drove Jesus to Jerusalem and to the cross when he knew what was gonna happen. When Jesus calls this lawyer and he calls us into this as his people, he's actually inviting us into something that he's already done himself to follow after him as his purchased people. And in the same way that the cross that he's going to, it did not ultimately end in death. The end of it was actually this empty tomb and a resurrected life, seated, reigning and ruling at the right hand of God, coming again to purchase and redeem his people. That's how it ended. In the same way, we find the same life as we meet Jesus where he is on this journey, laying down our lives for those who he has placed right in front of us, right on our paths. You don't have to jump ship, go across sea, across the sea and love somebody across the world. Maybe you will, that'd be cool. Love somebody right in front of you. Jesus is saying that, hey, when you do that, my kingdom is breaking out. Nothing's gonna stop it. So that's the, Jesus, the journey that Jesus is inviting us in on this month as his people and as his church here at Ethos. Like, we're gonna abstain from food some. We're gonna pray a lot and we're gonna ask that Jesus would come plant this understanding within us as his people and watch it break out in Nashville. Watch it break out in the state of Tennessee. It spread out from there. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? This morning, we're gonna take communion together as a family. I'm gonna dismiss us as a family, and, um, but you're gonna take it on your own time. I would just encourage you, man, reflect. Like those things that crop up when the opportunity to love somebody comes up and asks you to answer to them, what are those things? And just remember, as Jesus is asking us to be aware of those things and let them go for us, he's inviting us into life. It's like, I'm not trying to take from you. I'm trying to give to you for real. Let's trust him on that this morning and see what he might bring to the surface. So um, I'm gonna pray for us. Whenever I'm done praying, you guys can stand. You can exit towards the center, go grab communion at any one of the tables and then come back on the sides. And and I just hope you're reflective this morning and thankful for who Jesus is, what he's done for you. It's what the cup and the bread is. It's just a reminder of what he did. Uh, He calls us into the same thing. So... Uh, I love you guys. It's a pleasure to be up here this morning. Um, and I hope you're blessed. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, that he is not a teacher who just spoke words, but he's a teacher who used his feet uh, and walked a path, and a path that ultimately ended in a cross. And you lived it out, Jesus. You didn't just call us to do this and sit back that you actually went ahead of us and you paved the way and you, and we don't do this under our own power, God, we couldn't. We do this in the power and by the spirit that you have given us by your son, giving himself for us. And so we just invite him here this morning. Jesus, would you search our hearts? Would you know us? Would you help us to trust your hand that you are giving us life? as you ask us to let things go, as you lead us in what it looks like to love those around us, God, that as we do that, we get to encounter them and we get to encounter you. And that's where life is, Jesus. Would you convict? Would you build up? Would you be near? We love you. We give this time to you. We give this month to you. We ask for your spirit. It's in your name, for your kingdom. Amen.